Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett, and we're here at Heartbeat International's annual conference. We're in Louisville, Kentucky for the week. Uh, we've been having a great time so far, and as of this recording, it's Thursday afternoon, and uh, a lot of people are off checking out exhibits. We have our Writer's Row event. Um, a lot is happening. We have some events this evening, and uh, so everybody is is tired but having a great time. <laughs> With me today, I have uh, Petra Wallemeyer. She is the administrative supervisor for our option line team. That's the 24-7 pregnancy helpline. So Petra does a lot of um, answering those calls and texts and chats, all those messages that come in. But she also does a lot of behind-the-scenes work for option line. So she knows option line in and out. In addition to that, Petra does uh, helps with some research. She collaborates with other um, pro-life leaders so that we can create great resources and um, in addition to that, we have Dr. Callum Miller, and we're so grateful to have him here. Uh, tomorrow on Friday of our conference, he'll be giving a workshop and a keynote, so we're keeping him busy. He is a medical doctor, an ethicist, and a philosopher. So we're going to talk about maternal mortality and um, some of the effects that countries have seen, depending on what they what laws they've made, they've passed, um, and how that's affected those rates. So. I'll stop talking and let these two start because they have a lot to say. Oh, thanks, Christine. Um, so actually, my first question is related to something Christine said in her introduction, Callum, which is you are both a medical doctor and a philosopher slash and or ethicist. So how did, how, how did that happen? <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, that's an easier question because it's about myself and I know okay. a bit about myself, <laughs> not much about so. other stuff. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess I was always interested in philosophy and ethics. I always did a whole bunch of stuff just reading. Even from high school, I was into that. Um, I only really decided to go into medicine at a kind of later stage, well, when I was maybe 15 or 16, which most people <laughs> want to do, be a doctor from the time they're like four years old, right? <laughs> so I came okay. to it very late in life at the age of 15. Um, and so, yeah, that was really looking at the... We watched a video, I remember, in high school, about the HIV AIDS crisis in Africa. Oh. And that was really what just, I, I suppose, broke my heart um, and made me feel like I wanted to do something about it. And so I've always had a real particular interest in global health. Okay. And what is it that the people who are really marginalized in our world most desperately need? Um, that was really the thought behind it. And so went to medical school, learned a few things about medicine, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, really enjoyed the ethics. And okay. it was actually at medical school that I became pro-life. So I didn't go there kind of thinking, let's oh. do all this pro-life stuff. I changed my mind, became pro-life. And then, you know, because of that, being in a country where only 5% of people are pro-life, it really just made me think, wow, someone's got to like do something about this and look into this. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm interested in ethics and philosophy and I have a medical background. Let's look into the topic of abortion and it kind of just went from there. I went to a few conferences, wrote a few papers, that kind of thing, wow. and ended up doing a mix of both. So, yeah, doing a lot of teaching and research on the ethics of abortion and policy about it, which, of okay. course, links to medicine. So, yeah, it worked out well. Yeah. Okay, I did not know most of that. So that's really interesting. <laughs> it's, it is, I think, more unusual to hear a story of a later conversion in life to a pro-life uh, mm -hmm. viewpoint. So that's really interesting. And so you kind of touched on some of this, but some of the work you do does focus on the issue of 
maternal mortality rates globally in different countries. And so maybe just tell us a little bit more about like what is a maternal mortality rate? Like what does that mean? And um, how different countries might calculate that differently. Sure. Yeah, so it's it, it's something that is actually quite a good indicator of how well a country is doing economically and socially, you know, in terms of its general infrastructure for the well-being of people. And that makes sense because, of course, motherhood is an extremely common thing and it is something that is crucial to the flourishing of society is happy, healthy mothers. Um, and we know, of course, that women have often in many societies been marginalized or dismissed or yeah. neglected. And so that, of course, is likewise reflected in, in maternal mortality statistics. Mm. So it's really kind of shocking um, when you think about it, just how common death during childbirth or during pregnancy or after childbirth or after an abortion can be. So, you know, some of the countries with the highest maternal mortality in the world have about a thousand maternal deaths per 100,000 live births, which means that about one wow. in a hundred women having a baby will die as a result. And that's just, you know, that's horrendous hard. to, to yeah. think about. Um, and this has been a, you know, a thing since, you know, since history began, really. There are stories in yeah. the Bible of women who, you know, um, Joseph and Benjamin's mother died, mm -hmm. Rachel, when yep. she was giving birth to Benjamin. So it's something that, you know, to this day causes a huge amount of pain and grief. Yeah. Uh, around the world. Um, fortunately, things have got a lot better around the world. Um, in some countries like Poland and Malta, the maternal mortality rate is extremely low. Malta actually hasn't had any maternal deaths from any cause in the last 12 years. Wow. And Malta is a pro-life country. So, <laughs> so they're, they're doing well. Um, Poland, likewise, has, is the other country with the lowest maternal mortality rate in the world, and they're pro-life and so on. So yeah, it's just to kind of break it down, maternal mortality is defined in a few different ways, but okay. it's generally any woman who dies connected to their pregnancy, whether that's during pregnancy or whether it's right. after childbirth or after an abortion or after a miscarriage. Sometimes you look at six weeks during pregnancy as the limit. Other okay. people include late maternal deaths, which would be up to a year after the end of pregnancy, which you can still die significantly yeah. later. Um, and it's generally measured in what's called the maternal mortality ratio, which is basically the number of women who die mm -hmm. out of 100,000 live births. So as I say, some of the countries have a rate of about 1,000, a ratio of 1,000, which means about one in 100 women right. die. Um, Poland and Malta are more like zero to two per 100,000. Wow. So very, very rare. So yeah, that's kind of the basic. So that post, so the post birth amount of time that different countries are looking at varies from country to country. So there's not like a standard that every country uses that it's like, you know, during pregnancy and 50 days after, you know, a woman dies. So it could be six weeks or it could be a year depending on the country. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess it's probably less about variation between countries than just in different contexts. So, okay. so every country will have a certain measure, I think within 42 days. So okay. the WHO keeps statistics on all the countries or estimates at least, okay. um, which would have the same definition. And we would have okay. those estimates for every country. Um, but sometimes, depending on the context, a different definition is used. And often we don't have great statistics. Um, gotcha. We know that in many countries, a lot of maternal deaths go un, you know, unknown about. Um, we know that 
particularly deaths from abortion are often not recorded in both countries in the global south and in the west, like in the US. So, yeah, it's a pretty variable situation, but there are some common measures that they can use. Okay, okay, thanks for clarifying that. And so kind of following up from that and then also uh, because you do have that medical background, maybe you can speak to like what are some of the leading causes worldwide for those maternal deaths or for uh, maybe countries that have particularly high maternal mortality rates? And is there a difference between like industrialized or first world countries and developing or third world countries? Yeah, so so this changes quite a lot over time. So okay. when you look really far back, it's very different. You'd have, you know, even things like obstructed labor where the baby can't get out properly and, you know, that can okay, cause like huge, breach huge problems. Birth or something. That would be, yeah, one yeah. of the potential um, factors. Um, in sort of, depending on the country, you mm-hmm. then got this phase kind of late 19th century, early 20th century in the West where abortion began to be a huge cause Um, because abortion began to be promoted and done more commonly. Um, Ironically, the reason abortion became more, well, one of the reasons abortion became more common at that time was because it was safer. So in centuries ago, one of the reasons they didn't do abortion was not just because it was against the Christian values of most Mm -hmm. Western countries, but also because it was so dangerous. And then as it began to be at least a bit safe, you know, in, in the Greek world, if you had an abortion, you would pretty much die. It was like wow. pretty much guaranteed. Um, once it began to be a bit safe, it, be- it became a lot more common, but it was still largely unsafe. And so you still had a lot of women dying. This trend, of course, only came in other countries like in Africa much, much later. Okay. So it was more the 80s and 90s in Africa that abortion began to be a big cause. Um, abortion has now declined in pretty much every country as a cause, partly because of chemical abortion, which you can get in any country in the world. And that's generally, it's not fully safe, but it's a lot better than, you know, the traditional methods of abortion, which pretty much would guarantee that you would die. Um, so abortion has really come down. And of course we have, you know, the complications of abortion are now quite easily treatable. Okay. Uh, you can treat the hemorrhage that results. You can treat infections with antibiotics. Right. So that's come down a lot. And what you see now is there are quite a few good studies on what are the main causes. So the WHO has a pretty good study looking okay. at the main causes. And it would be things like hemorrhage, um, okay. sometimes before birth, sometimes during birth, sometimes after birth. Right. It would be sepsis is still a reasonably big cause. Okay. Um, so that's, that's one of the, the leading causes as well. Um Preeclampsia or hypertensive yes, disease is, a, a, yeah. is another huge cause. And what's really inc- increasing now, particularly in the developing, sorry, the developed world, is what's known as indirect causes. So in terms of causes of maternal death, you have direct causes and indirect causes. Okay. Direct are things that are basically things during the pregnancy which are part of the pregnancy. Okay. Like yeah, hemorrhage because of the pregnancy or infection of the uterus or whatever. Okay. Whereas an indirect cause would be something like cardiovascular disease that was already right. there, but the pregnancy has made that worse. Okay. Um, okay. And so because the Western world has a lot more cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and so yes. on, yes. that's increasing. In the developing world, HIV AIDS is sort of the biggest indirect cause okay. because that has a huge okay. burden as well. So it definitely does vary a lot over time and between countries, but we have some pretty well-defined key causes now. And abortion is generally not one of the the leading causes nowadays. 
That's that's really interesting um, to hear. And I, I guess I wouldn't have, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed at some of those differences um, leading to MMR in different countries. But one one thing in the pro life movement, at least that I encounter a lot, is that pro choice um, people will say that criminalizing abortion or banning abortion or or really any kind of regulation that's going to decrease the number of abortions happening is going to then affect the maternal mortality rate. The maternal mortality rate is going to rise if women can't get abortions. So can you talk us through, like, what is that logic and why why they think that makes sense? And then, like, is do we, as a pro-life cause, do we have a good response to that? Or is there something to what they're saying? Yeah, so it's a very dangerous question because... <laughs> I recorded a 90-minute talk on this uh, <laughs> for <yes>. this conference. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. So, um, so I'll really have to try and think, how can I put this into like a couple of minutes? <laughs> so, so the basic argument is this, that um, there's kind of two elements to it. The first is when you ban abortion, there'll be a lot more women who are pregnant and remain pregnant. And because you can die from pregnancy, there'll be women right. who die as a result. Um, the second argument is about sort of back alley or unsafe abortion more generally. Right, right. Being that you can't make abortion stop happening, you can just make it less safe, which, you know, we heard heard a lot about after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Yes. Um, Part of this argument says, well, like I said, the first part literally says you can't stop abortions from happening. Now we know this is false. Of course, we can never yep. stop every abortion from happening. Right. And we know that abortions are still happening illegally or out of state in Texas or right. Louisiana or wherever. Um, but of course, we know that we can prevent a large number of abortions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the evidence on that is completely decisive. I don't yes. think there's any point repeating it <laughs> because <laughs> okay. anyone who denies it is a liar. It's okay, not, okay, I think great. It's, it's not really, yeah, you, you just can't substantiate that at all with the, the evidence. Um, but more intuitive and instinctive is that, okay, so suppose even fewer women have abortions. Those women who still do have abortions, which we all agree that happens, are going to have dangerous, unsafe abortions, and that will put their lives at risk. Um, And that's an intuitive implication. It seems very plausible. Um, And typically the pro-life response hasn't kind of cast doubt on those empirical claims We've just kind of said, yeah, but it's a baby and you wouldn't normally keep, you know, human rights abuses legal just because it can make them dangerous. Um, right. You know, they yes, point I've to the slave that. trade where, where people who defended the slave trade said we should keep it legal and regulated so that it's safer. Like no one right. thinks that makes sense because slavery was an abomination and exactly. it was a human rights abuse. So that's been the kind of typical pro-life response. And pro-lifers have often kind of just conceded or... Not, not bothered to kind of question the empirical claims. But do so, you? Because it sounds like you do. <laughs> on the other hand. <laughs> so I, I decided to do this a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, so I looked at most countries in the world that have legalized abortion. And as far as I know, all of them which have prohibited abortion in okay. you know, the last hundred years. Um, to look at the evidence on this. To see what happens to the number of deaths specifically from abortion and then also overall maternal mortality when abortion is legalized or okay. when it is prohibited. 
And again, to condense the 90-minute version, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the, the basic gist is that the law doesn't make a difference, or if it does, it can actually make things worse if you legalize abortion. So... I've... Uh, uh, just to interrupt you real sure, quick, yeah, I've yeah. heard... Um, have you heard Monica Snyder from Secular Pro-Life, her... her Never heard of her. Talk on... <laughs> I'm joking. She's, she's a friend of ours. So yeah. <laughs> but have you have you heard her response on like when the WHO puts out their data and they're like, oh look, these countries that like really criminalize abortion, um, moms do really badly or whatever. And so she I, she has some talking points that she goes mm-hmm. through about how they're not really looking at the right things. So are you? Is this kind of along those lines where when you control for these other factors, you're finding that abortion being legal or illegal isn't really affecting the maternal mortality rate or are you looking at other things yeah it's it's a mix of things so anything incidentally that monica writes is great on yes the i also life. agree so, <laughs> so yeah please everyone listening should, should check out her stuff um the first thing i guess is that often these statistics are misrepresented so they will okay. say you know the who says five to thirteen percent of maternal deaths are from unsafe abortion right when you look at the paper which they take this from, which was their own paper, the paper explicitly says this includes abortion generally, whether you know unsafe or safe. Yeah. It includes miscarriages and it includes uh-huh. ectopic pregnancies. Now, any woman who's had an ectopic pregnancy and goes to hospital knows that it's a medical emergency and that it can be a significant cause of maternal mortality. Right. Um, and it is in, in many yeah. parts of the world. It still is, yeah. And so what they've basically done is take all of these causes of death together and say all of that is unsafe abortion. Um, It would be kind of like saying taking all the deaths from infection in the world, which will be, you know, millions and millions and millions and saying they're all due to COVID. Like, yes, COVID caused a lot of deaths, but it's not responsible for every death from infection. Right. It's just plainly dishonest. Yeah, they're they're completely Um, mischaracterizing what what pro-life people mean by abortion and even exactly. what most normal people are thinking about when they think about abortion. Right, exactly. Um, and so, you know, I even pointed this out to them. They didn't reply. Um, so, <laughs> multiple Col- times. Color me surprised times, right yeah. so, so, so they are being dishonest, I think, at this stage. It's not an innocent mistake. Um, mm. What you then find, though, is when you look at the evidence, again, to, to really condense it, is the general pattern is that if you have a pro-life country that protects children and women from abortion, that has good health care, you don't see women dying from abortion. So as I said, Malta okay. has no maternal deaths from any cause in the last 12 years, which yeah. would make its maternal mortality ratio at most like one. And okay. the lowest in the world generally is two. Um, Poland has a maternal mortality ratio of two. Gotcha. And they protect pretty Ir- life. Ireland used to have... The lowest yes. or one of the lowest exactly. before the referendum. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were definitely one of the lowest and, you know, before they legalized abortion. Um, the United Arab Emirates is three in the Middle wow. East. They ban abortion completely, pretty much, um, with a couple of very rare exceptions. Um, South Korea, likewise, before they decriminalized abortion a couple of years ago. So there are many examples. Um, when you have a good healthcare infrastructure, but you ban abortion... Women don't die from abortion on average. Okay. Maybe one or two will every now and then, but that is true anywhere. That's true in the US, that's true in the UK, it's true in France, Germany, Canada, wherever. Okay. Um, on the other hand, when you get a country that has a pro-abortion law that allows abortion, that doesn't give those protections, 
But a bad healthcare system, or at least one that's not as developed as mm -hmm. a typical Western one, um, what you find is that they still have loads of deaths from abortion. So countries right. like Ethiopia, Rwanda, Bangladesh, India, Ghana, yes. uh, yeah. South Africa. There's a whole bunch of countries that have legalized abortion, but they don't have good healthcare infrastructure, and you still find a lot of women die from abortion. And so yeah. what all of that shows in general is that women dying from abortion is not really a function of what the law says it's to do with the healthcare infrastructure okay because if you have good healthcare infrastructure firstly it's quite likely that the woman will be able to find a safe abortion right. illegally she'll yep. either go to a doctor yeah. and do it illegally or she'll order pills off the internet and most of those women will be pretty safe um and if they do have complications they can go to the emergency department and get care for those complications right they're going to get Whereas, appropriate care, yeah. If you don't have the healthcare infrastructure, even if you allow safe abortion, firstly, most women are not going to get it. So yeah. in India, they've had legal abortion for 50 years, and still about 70% of abortions it's there illegal, yeah. are illegal and unsafe. Yeah. Um, and then even if they do get a safe abortion, they might not have emergency care. Right. So as we know from all this stuff in the US with chemical abortion, it has a lot of complications. Like the complication yes. rate after chemical abortion is pretty, you know, it's not 80%, but it's significant. There are thousands yes. of women who have complications. Yes. And if they don't have access to emergency care, those infections are going to get worse. They're mm -hmm. going to become septic, maybe die from that. Their bleeding might become worse. They'll hemorrhage right. and so on. And so even if you have a safe abortion, if you don't have good emergency care, it's going to become unsafe. And so that is why it's basically much more to do with the healthcare system than to do with the, the status of abortion in the law itself. That is, is really interesting. And I think actually that leads great to uh, the last question I have for you, which is like given these differences that are contributing to the maternal mortality rate and the importance of um, a, a good healthcare system, like what do you think is an appropriate pro-life response to this issue of abortion um, and the maternal mortality rate. And then and then kind of like more specifically, is there anything like an average pro-life person can do about these issues? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Uh... So I think there's there's a lot that needs to be done. Um, I mean, I mean, yep. in terms of reducing maternal mortality in developing countries, for example, we know that one of the key things is just strengthening emergency care and the healthcare system. Yeah. So we know that, in fact, precise it's one of the main reasons that there has not been as much progress on maternal mortality as we expected. Like it was mm -hmm. a key indicator in the Millennium Development Goals and in the, the Sustainable Development Goals for 2030. Yeah. Um, one of the main reasons most countries have not really reached the goals is because they have spent most of their money from the West on family planning and abortion rather than, act, than on actually women getting emergency care. So what you have is that in mm. countries like Malawi or Democratic Republic of Congo, is that it's pretty easy to get condoms. You can get condoms pretty much anywhere. Yep. They have boxes of condoms just sitting there, not doing anything. <laughs> they can get an abortion pretty easily. Yep. But if a woman wants to keep her baby and she goes through the pregnancy and she has an emergency situation where her life is at risk, she cannot get the basic care that she needs because all of that money has gone on 
mm. you know, abortions and condoms. They're not spending it on and actual so, healthcare. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, this is not just pro-life propaganda. The the UK's international aid agency has looked into yep. this. No, sorry, not the the agency itself, but the watchdog, which scrutinizes international okay. aid. Okay. And they basically said to the UK government, yeah, your money is just being spent on family planning and it's not really effective because most women want to keep their babies and you're not doing much for them. So, <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, it is, it's tragic just to see how this ideology is not just ending the lives of babies, but is also ending the lives of women as well. Right. Because it is taking the money that they should have to save their lives and spending it on ending the lives of babies. Um, so it's, so one thing, of course, that could be done is, you know, prioritize where you put your money at a governmental level right. um, and strengthen those healthcare systems, make sure that people can get access to emergency hospitals and then have the emergency care when they get there. Um, likewise, in the US, a huge yep. amount needs to be done. So I don't know how much it's been talked about here, but the US does have a basically an appalling maternal mortality ratio. Yes. Um, yes. So as I said, like Poland's is like two. Malta's is one at most. Right. Most European countries are below 10, including some of the very poorest ones. Yeah. And America's, I think, is over 20. It might have just come down under 20 it's in the last couple bad. of years, but yeah. it's, you know, it's twice as bad. And it's, I think it's worse than the poorest European country, um, which, given that it's basically the most affluent country in the world, is really quite shocking. Right. And people... And I will I will say like the pro choice response to that is well it's because America's abortion laws are so restrictive or socialized uh, healthcare which the actual healthcare portion of it is as you just said is actually more important than the abortion legality yeah, yeah I mean this it gets a bit complicated I'm sure there are multiple reasons um, the first thing I would say in response to one of those claims is that actually the U S has had a more liberal abortion law than any European country <laughs> until Roe v. Wade was overturned. Yes. So America's, so the Mississippi law banning abortion from 15 weeks, no one in Europe would bat an eyelid at that. <laughs> like, right, be right. Like, On the books, that's, that's, just, that's a normal law. That's just law. our abortion law, and no one in Europe really supports making that more liberal. But in America, that was portrayed as, this is a crazy... Right. It's fascist. <laughs> yeah, it's it's shocking. We're going back in time. Exactly. You're yeah. actually just coming more towards, even with that law, you would still be one of the most liberal pro-abortion countries in Europe. Right. On the um, books, yeah, it's normally 10 or 12-ish Exactly, weeks, yeah. 12 places, weeks, yeah. I think, is the median. So, so, yeah, you know, clearly it's not because America has restrictive abortion laws that it has such bad maternal mortality because it actually has more liberal abortion laws than all of Europe. Um but on the other hand, it is true to say that in general, the Republican states, which are more likely to be pro-life, obviously, yeah. um, do have worse maternal mortality. And mm -hmm. I'm very, very doubtful that's because they have these minor restrictions on abortion, like parental involvement laws or anything right. like that. that. That's not at all credible that these maternal mortality differences are due to those pretty minor restrictions. Um, but clearly there is a problem that, you know, yep. some of these abortion, some of these states which are pro-life do have really shocking maternal mortality figures. Right. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I like to think of myself as somewhere in the middle on economics. I'm pretty left-leaning, but I'm not like crazy. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm, okay. Not a, I'm not a communist. <laughs> okay. Well, um, that's good. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but. 
and you know, I, I, I certainly think that European healthcare systems have significant problems. And you know, this idea that they're this like socialist utopia. I was actually hospitalized in Austria a few days ago. What? I had to pay a lot of money. <laughs> like they're not just these like socialist utopias that they're portrayed as. Like it costs a lot. Anyway. Um, and they also run quite badly in many of the countries. Like the UK health system is falling apart. On the other hand, I think the American healthcare system has its own problems. Yeah. And I personally do support single payer healthcare. Um, I support competition in the healthcare system. I don't think it should be all provided by one person, but I also think that it, you know, there are significant benefits from making it so that no one has to suffer financially from having these healthcare right. problems. I think especially in the context of motherhood. Um, the way I yeah. like to think about it is having a baby in this country and anywhere in the West is already an ordeal with the laws that we all have in the Western countries where they really don't want people to have babies. They make it extremely costly. They stigmatize you. They discriminate yeah, in the workplace yeah. against you. Yeah. It's already difficult, you know, thinking about afterbirth for people going through motherhood. Right. And then when you think that childbirth itself just that one-off event can come with such a huge, like, one-off cost. cost. It basically does create a highway to abortion, in my view. And so, look, I, I know that there's sensitivities around, you know, economic questions and political <laughs> questions and healthcare in the U.S., and I'm not going to get into that. Hey, you're not I, from the U.S. You can say whatever you want. Because right? <laughs> I am more left-leaning. I'm going to own that. But I'm left-leaning, but not a communist. Anyway, um, I, th I think, I think we, do, we should have a discussion here in the U.S. about... Mm -hmm. What is a way that we can have a sensible policy that yeah. can basically not create a highway to abortion so that right. a woman faced with this decision can look at her options, including the enormous costs of childbirth itself, let alone everything that comes after that, and not just immediately think, I can't afford that. Let's right. have an abortion. Because I think that is the reality for a significant number of people. Yeah. Um, and I think pro-life leaders are are beginning to talk about this a lot more. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the post-Roe Future Statement talked a lot about this, which right. a lot of leaders have signed. And right, I think it is... A, was that Equal Rights Institute that helped yeah, that together? Yeah, Josh Brown yeah. with the ERI helped with that, and Charlie Camosi and some others. Yeah, so. okay. So yeah, all that to say, I think, I think we can have a conversation about really substantive financial support and healthcare support for mothers. Yep. Um, beyond just the basic provisions of Medicaid and so on, right. um, which doesn't have to just get us into, like, you know, scaremongering about communism. Yes. <laughs> I think we can, like, we can meet halfway, <laughs> and, and I don't think it, yeah, it necessarily yeah. leads to the Soviet Union. So okay. if there's anything so, you learned from this talk. <laughs> it, it, is, it is that Dr. Miller is not a communist. No, um, no that's, that's a good it's a, a good conversation to have. I think it is a hard one to have, but uh, that doesn't mean we should shy away from it. So thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Uh, you're I, you're say, definitely not the only person to, <laughs> to have those thoughts. I'll say one more very quick thing just because okay. I forgot, which is, which is just a really key element of this debate. The, the maternal mortality rate is hugely different for African-American women. It's so much yes. higher. And I think this is another thing that we have to pick up on. Look at the I don't think the causes are simple, but clearly there are causes. Yes. And I think if we really want to look at racial equality and we want to look at supporting mums and babies, that is a really key question which we need to look into more and really figure out 
how are we not serving or how can we serve better women in those communities as well. And I think uh, Gary Thome, one of Heartbeat's board members, just submitted some research to the Charlotte Lozier Institute to see um, about getting that edited and out looking at why America's maternal mortality rate is so high and looking at the racial differences in the maternal mortality rate. And his, uh, he, he came up with a mathematical model to um, explain this. And it's really interesting. So I look forward to that coming out of maybe uh, you can keep an eye out for that as well in the next couple of months because um, that might answer some of the, the questions yeah. you have there or the, the concerns that are there. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been really fascinating. Um, I know we'll learn a little bit more at your workshop tomorrow, Dr. Miller, and uh, your keynote. So we're keeping yes. you busy tomorrow and more content uh, coming our listeners' way. And if listeners would like to access those two, if you're not at conference and you can't attend the workshop or the keynote, uh, visit heartbeatservices.org. Click on the store. We are hosting all of uh, this week's um, virtual and in-person workshops and keynotes in that store um, so that people who weren't able to listen in can check them out later. Thanks again. Um, subscribe so that you don't miss another episode. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast.